I remain, as always, your humble host, Osgood. This evening's story is a pastiche, that is, a story where one author writes in the style of another author as a form of tribute. It comes to us from Mr. Eric Klein. He is a writer living in Maryland with his wife and greyhound. That's a dog, not a motorized omnibus. His works have appeared in Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine, Galaxy's Edge, Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Magazine, and other places. His story, Elizabeth Town, was nominated for the Sidewise Award for Alternate History in 2015. It will be read for us this evening by Mr. C.B. Drogi, an author and voice actor from the Queen City living in the Millionendorf. His voice can be heard in commercials, cartoons, video games, and audiobooks, and also as the host of the weekly flash fiction podcast from Manawaka Studio. I would not want to spoil the story for you by saying in whose style Mr. Klein shall be writing, but see if you can guess before it gets to the tell. Hmm? The Thousand Injuries by Eric Klein I sat in silence as my old friend, my father-in-law, made his confession. After he had finished, he sat back in his chair with that sad smile on his face, and there was silence. Silence? Not after that. I could not bear it. Fifty years, I said. Fifty years ago he had committed this crime? Before Italy had become a united country? Before he had married? Before my wife had been born? He nodded. The smile never left his face. I got up and left his study. I think I shall, but could not utter anything more of an excuse. My father-in-law waved his hand indulgently. This was not a place of murder, surely. It was night in his ancestral home. Servants walked about here and there, intent on their tasks, not making eye contact. The oil lamps which had replaced the torches of a generation ago suffused the high ceilings with a glow. Tapestries hung on the walls, keeping the solid stones of this old palazzo from radiating their coldness. Not this lovely home. Upstairs, my wife, fatigued by our long journey to visit her father, slept in comfort. This was not a place of murder, surely. But then my eyes alit upon a certain set of archways, at the end of which lay a heavy oaken door, the path he claimed to have led his victim through. My father-in-law is very old. Senility? 
Perhaps not. He was always a prankster. The Italians are known for their joie de vivre. Not that he would appreciate an Austrian son-in-law applying a French term to it. Perhaps, perhaps he had not gone feeble-minded, so much as his taste in jokes had deteriorated. Yes, that could be. So he could be in his second childhood, or this could just be an extended joke, ill-advised. Surely there had been no murder here? Yet my feet were moving of their own accord. I took an oil lamp with me. I opened the door. Its creak could be heard throughout the ground floor. I imagined him grinning as his arthritic body rested in the chair. Fooled the lad. Ha ha, great jest indeed. I'd been down here once briefly. I'd seen the bones of his ancestors, of my wife and children's ancestors. It had been a brief visit, barely beyond the bottom of the steps, but it had been enough. I closed the door behind me carefully. There was no snap lock, just a bolt which could never accidentally latch. Still, I fanned the door a couple of times just to reassure myself. Then I made my way down. They were spiral steps. I went slowly in case of some mossy slipperiness. This was a damp place. Patches of nitre grew freely. At midway, the door had disappeared around the bend from above, and the landing had not yet appeared below. I almost hastened my pace. Almost. But I am a Viennese man, not superstitious, and of good nerve. I let myself stay in this purgatory between the world above and the world below. If my breath quickened, if my throat bobbed with a heavy gulp, it was not to my discredit. I did not run as a scared boy. The reliquary, as it were, began almost immediately. Italy became a modern 19th century nation in the decade after my father-in-law's supposed crime. The newer villas, built after Garibaldi's armies united Italy, kept only wine in their cellars, and the dead were exiled to sensible cemeteries. But the old families, like the one I had married into, still kept their dead with them. As I walked along, I saw bones covered with the rotted threads of shrouds on both sides of me. They moved. Of course they did. The shadow from my lamp gave them that illusion as I walked along. I had steeled myself for it. I don't share the sentimentality or the superstition of Italians, or the rural Austrian mountain folk. In between the skeletons stacked seven deep along the walls, incongruous enough almost to be a joke by themselves, were casks of wine. The area was well-swept and well-trod. Servants came down at least this far on a regular basis. The assistant cook on some other day might brush past her master's great-great-grandparents to get him a good port to go with his dinner. It was too ridiculous. I am formally Catholic, but this outdated, morbid tradition is abhorrent to me. That was why I did not laugh. That was why. This was a place filled with generations of dead. But murder? Well, down here, it seemed still unlikely, but not preposterous. A rat scurried past me a few feet away. It startled me, but then the crazy thought came unbidden. Was it running away from me? Or... Damn me. I looked behind me. Only the bones, seven deep, of my wife and children's ancestors. I am the only thing here, I thought. That little animal ran from me. But I had not thought it. I had said it aloud, and I could not hear myself. These catacombs sucked out all traces of human life. Voices. Flesh. 
No wonder they were where bodies were left to desiccate and wine was safely preserved. Further I went, beyond where servants usually came. I could not believe that these tunnels stretched under the entirety of the ancestral home and grounds. Surely this place could not stretch all the way out underneath the river. There was talk in the papers of electricity coming to us soon. I tried to imagine those magical wires and glass bulbs being installed in a place like this. No, it would never do. Oil and water, the past and the future could not coexist. The floor became gritty under my shoes. I knew that no servants trafficked this far in. The catacombs bent. I followed, a sleepwalker from a future century who barely an hour before had been discussing the recent spate of sensational British novels with my father-in-law when he had decided to reminisce. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, he had begun in a friendly tone and had proceeded to narrate his grisly confession. No, I had not known. How could my world upend that quickly? I had earlier disliked the illusion of a purgatory on the winding stone steps. Now that illusion was redoubled as I found myself standing in my own little patch of lamplight in nothing, with nothing behind and nothing ahead. The illusion. Yes, that was it. I felt an icicle trail down my forehead. It was sweat made chilly in this place. How foolish to go down here on the vaguest whim. Above me, Though I could not hear them, servants still went about their duties. My father-in-law lazed in his chair. A few floors above that, my wife slept and fully expected me to come and warm the bed. There could be no terror in a place encompassed within the ancestral palazzo. The grandfather of my children was not a murderer, and his victim could not be interred here. Could not. Illusion. Glass. I had just stepped on glass? No, it wasn't glass. It was the faint jingling of a bell. I forgot the cold. I forgot the world one flight of steps above me. Out of the dark gray of bones and stone there came into relief moving patterns like the heavy tubes of wind chimes in their slow drift. And though lamplight made color difficult to distinguish, some were red, some were white, some were black. Or maybe the black was mere air in between the patches of red and white. The jingling stopped and started, stopped and started, and within that short space of time coalesced the figure of a man dressed in fool's motley, holding a bottle. It strained toward me as if bound by invisible chains. <laughs> Are you back? I knew this was just some jest on your part. The words came to my ears, but did not seem to match the movements of the figure's mouth. I was reminded of a magic lantern show I had attended in which faint images appeared on a silk screen whilst the performer narrated what the characters were supposed to be saying. I do not know you, I said, barely above a whisper. Oh, you jest again, my friend. Come let me loose. We shall laugh about this as we stroll the piazza and show off our costumes for carnival. The figure in Fool's Motley took a pull from the bottle in the middle of his words. Its bon vivant hail fellow gestures were overdone, as if for the stage. I cannot free you, I said, or perhaps thought. It is far too late for that. The fool hung its head in dejection, then lunged at me. It was too swift for me to do more than flinch, but was held back by its invisible bindings. It could not pull away from that patch of wall, which was of slightly different pattern than the sections on either side. 
Ah, well, (laughs) an exaggerated shrug and another pull on the bottle. Well, it was the perfect prank, and you may let me loose, old friend, and we shall laugh about this. My wife expects me to join her tonight at Carnival, you know. I'm afraid you missed that appointment long ago, I muttered and backed away from it, never letting it get out of my sight. For the love of God, my friend, it wailed. For the love of God! The fool sagged in a posture of defeat. Red and white were fading back into gray stone. I risked turning my back to it and ran headlong. For the love of God! It shouted, and then a final desperate cackle. Running up the steps was the work of moments. I practically jumped at the door in case I needed to force it open, but it was unlocked, and then I was back upstairs in the world of reality. I extinguished the oil lamp and sat it on the nearest flat surface for some servant to deal with. As I strode past the old man's study, where I had expected innocent conversation a lifetime and two hours ago, he looked up from a newspaper. He merely smiled at me, the old pirate. I took the stairs two at a time, caring nothing for the wide-eyed look a maid going in the opposite direction gave me. Not soon enough, but very soon, I had joined my wife in bed. She barely stirred, but snuggled next to me, like a vine entwining itself with a trellis. I let her sleep, and tried to as well. I was back in the world of the concrete, of the all-seeing Catholic God, of tradition and family and civilization, of harmless ribald jest. That night, and a thousand nights after, I would try to tell myself it was all some odd dream, or that my father-in-law had hired a performer to hide in the catacombs and play sport with me. But in truth, I would always know that poor Fortunato lurked below, still expecting to be led to a cask of amontillado. Well, did you guess it? Correct. Our author was writing in the style of Edgar Allan Poe, which reminds me, I should do something about those editors of mine down in the basement. They aren't much use to me now that submissions month is over. Or perhaps I should get a new exhibit ready now that August has arrived. What should it be, hmm? More pastiche, perhaps? I do believe that Howard Phillips Lovecraft was born in August. Everyone loves a Lovecraft pastiche, especially these days. I'll have the editors up to bring the aquariums out of storage. My editors are much more expendable than you are, so perhaps it would be best if you were to be on your way now. Do visit us next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. (laughs) 
Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. Our theme song is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was produced in late July of 2018. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. Andrew. Kevin. Drain these tanks so that we can move them upstairs more easily and put those creatures there into those buckets. Mind the tea. They've grown considerably since the last exhibit. What do you mean, are they poisonous? I don't know. Why don't you be a deer and find out for me?